Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, let me move now to another very important part of our service. Uh, We love to open up the Bible, we love to open up God's Word and to uh, allow that to speak into our hearts and our lives. Uh, Currently we're going through the book of Genesis. Uh, I did the first half about five or six years ago and we're now doing the second half of Genesis. We've done about six or seven weeks uh, over the last period of time. And uh, today we are moving into uh, Genesis 39 really interesting chapters with tracing out the, uh, the life of Joseph. Um, as I said a couple of weeks ago, um, my children used to call Joseph Jophus. So if it does slip out, it's just my sort of um, children's memories coming back to me. Okay, I'm not going to try and do that. And I didn't do it two weeks ago, but I'm just going to put an apology in there now. Okay, as we think about Genesis 39, as we think about the book of Genesis, as we think about today where Joseph is, uh, let us just think about this for a moment. In the world where we live, we have a mountain of self-help books and programs. Stacks of them. Here's a few titles that I got off the net the other day. Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Here's another one. The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Has anybody heard of that one before? Marie Kondo, you sort of of declutter your life. Uh, Here's another one. Make Your Bed. Little things that can change your life. Maybe we could give that to some of the teenagers. Make your bed. Uh, Tools of titans. The tactics, the habits and routines of billionaires, tycoons and world-class performers. There's a whole myriad of self-help books on the net that you can buy to help yourself and change your life. Now, I'm not against those books in the slightest. Not against those books. There's probably some really good, helpful stuff in there. But let me tell you, the gospel isn't a self-help manual. The gospel isn't a self-help manual. The gospel is all about God being with us and coming to us and enabling us to overcome in life through his presence and his power. And we're going to see that today in Joseph here in Genesis 39. So grab your Bibles. Uh, We're going to go to chapter 39 and we're going to read the whole chapter to give us the complete context of this passage here. So join with me in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishlamites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man as he was in the house of his, his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house 
and he's put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was in there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he's brought this among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid, attention, uh, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that we can come before you today and have your living eternal word with us. We ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, you would come and shed light onto Genesis 39 as we see this really powerful chapter, a massive temptation in the life of uh, Joseph. Uh, But Lord, we see that you're there with him to enable him to uh, walk through this temptation and to come out the other side, a man faithful before you. So we ask now, Lord, let us see that today as we work through this chapter. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, Genesis 39 is a really important chapter to us, showing us the early life of Joseph in Egypt. It actually shows us God's glorious hand of providence uh, working in his plans and purposes through human agency. Remember we had right back at the start of Joseph, we said there's this overarching um, verse which is chapter 50 verse 49 or chapter 50 verse 21. Uh, what man meant for evil, God means for good. This is the overarching verse we're seeing here worked out again through God's hand of providence in Egypt with Joseph. Uh, It's a picture here in this chapter as well of this beautiful movie star wife looking for life through lustful sexual encounters with people other than her husband but coming up bitterly short. It also shows us Joseph defying this sexual temptation offered to him. It also shows us Joseph thriving in a place of despair and hardship as well. And what we see here in Genesis 39 comes from one foundation. Verses 2 and verse 21 says the Lord was with Joseph. It's a common theme here as we read through this uh, chapter. And our big idea today for Genesis 39 is this. God is with us no matter where we are or what we're going through. And that's a priceless blessing when we can see that. A priceless blessing when we can see that. 
Okay, the first part of Genesis 39, we discover here the journey of Joseph to Potiphar's house. But before we get there, let's just recap a little bit where Joseph has come from. Firstly, if we went back a few chapters, we would find there that his brothers had sold him to Ishlamite slave traders at about the age of 17 back in the land of Canaan. Uh, Joseph had a whole bunch of dreams at this particular time and his whole family in these dreams would have bowed down to him as their ruler. Uh, They didn't like those dreams. In fact, if you looked at Joseph's family, well, Jacob's family, sorry, uh, it's really a complicated mess here of a blended family and the best thing you can say about it, it it is that it's dysfunctional at best. It really is one of those crazy, mixed up families. They didn't take too kindly to his dreams at all. Uh, The slave traders have taken uh, him to Egypt, to the slave auctions, and Joseph has been picked up by Potiphar here. Now, Potiphar is no ordinary guy. He's the captain of Pharaoh's guard. That's That's a position there that's prestigious and comes with power and comes with wealth. So he's very, very high up. And we see early on here in this chapter that Joseph does extremely well in Potiphar's house. As you read through verses 2 to 6, you see God is with Joseph there through all of his duties and responsibilities as he carries them out in Potiphar's house. Uh, Verse 6 tells us that God blessed everything in Potiphar's house through Joseph. Both his house and field were blessed. It didn't matter what Joseph was organising there because God was with him. Uh, His hand was upon that to prosper it. So in other words, Joseph's ordering in the business brought tremendous prosperity to Potiphar. And in verse 3, we actually see Potiphar knows that God is with uh, Joseph in this way. Now, because of Potiphar's power and position as the captain of the guard, uh, he does attract a movie star wife for himself. Uh, This just happens sometimes. Some ladies get attracted to the fame and the fortune, and it looks like this is what happened here, Uh, the luxury as well at the times, and it's quite probably that Potiphar's wife is way younger than him as well. So Potiphar has what we might call a trophy wife in today's world. But at the same time, she's flirtatious. She's lust-filled as well. Let's contrast this now back with a picture of Joseph. We see him there back in verse 6, the last part of verse 6. It says there that Joseph is handsome and and in form and appearance. In other words, Joseph is now an 18 and 19-year-old hunk. He's to die for, if you're a girl, that is. (laughs) Just clarifying that. That's, and if you actually go back a couple of chapters, you'll see Rachel, his mother, had the same description. She was beautiful in form and appearance. So this is the picture we're getting of Joseph. Now you can begin to see where this is heading somewhat. You've got this beautiful, flirtatious, lust-filled woman having a young hunk of a man working for her. Verse 7 sets the scene for us. Verse 7 says this, After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now, that's not saying, Joseph, will you come and be part of my story of telling a lie? Sometimes the Hebrew is a bit hard to pick up here. But if we think about it, it's this. She's been eyeing him off for ages. She's been lusting after Joseph with sexual desires. And finally, she says to him, lie with me. Looking at this through the week, I was trying to get the idea of the weight of this. And Tim Keller, as I read one of his talks, actually helps pick up the weight in the Hebrew here, of what she's actually saying. She's actually saying this, sex now. I want sex with you right now. 
That's what she's saying when she says those words. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's got the finest of Egyptian beauty products and the best day spas going around to make her look a million bucks. She's probably every man's dream. And she says to Joseph, sex now. She's using all of her womanly powers to seduce and tempt Joseph. And let's not underestimate the power of a beautiful, alluring and seductive woman. The strongest of men, the strongest of men in this world, have been brought to water by seductive women. Let's think about where Joseph is at this point. 18, 19 years of age, probably with lots of testosterone pumping through his veins. To have a beautiful woman alluring him would have made any man's sexual drive go off the scale. Nobody's around in the house. She wants sex. What could go wrong? You see, this is one of those watershed moments. This is one of those really poignant moments of life. What will Joseph do? How will he handle this overpowering temptation with this beautiful woman trying to seduce him? Well, we see his response there in verse 8. It says, But he refused. But he refused. My master has given me anything in this house to have and to use, everything except you, Mrs Potiphar, because you are his wife. How could he refuse such a beautiful woman like that? Look at what he says here at the end of uh, verse 9. He says this, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. It's a powerful end of that verse there. It really gives us a telling insight into the way Joseph is thinking and where his heart is at. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When you read that, you've got to ask yourself, can you see where Joseph's ultimate love and allegiance lies? as you read that end of verse 6, can you see what is supreme and treasured in Joseph's life when he answers like that? How does Joseph refuse this seductive, beautiful woman doing all that she can to have sex with him? You see, Joseph has discovered a glorious, loving God who is way more satisfying way more fulfilling than a sexual encounter with a gorgeous woman flaunting herself in the latest lingerie of Egypt. He's discovered something way more satisfying and way more fulfilling. As Joseph knows and experiences the presence and the love of God, this affection from God and with God can match and overcome any other desire for any unlawful sexual act. Don't get me wrong here, saying sex is something bad or sex is something wrong. Sex is a wonderful gift from God. Sex, in the way that God has designed it, in the loving, safe confines of marriage, is wonderful. No question about that. But sexual activity outside of the safety of marriage will always and eventually end up feeling washed out and used up. 
It's designed for marriage. So don't get me wrong, sex is a good thing in the confines of marriage. But you see, Joseph had a whole other level of power, as it were, to overcome this temptation that he was faced with at this time. There's a a sermon preached by a man called Thomas Chalmers. Has anybody heard of Thomas Chalmers? Good, because he was alive about 150 years ago, so that's all right, I think I did know him. He preached this sermon, a Scottish guy, 150 years ago, and the sermon was the power of an expulsive affection. The power of an expulsive affection. And the whole point of this sermon is that a higher love will overpower a lower love in life. And it works like this if we think about Joseph. Joseph may have had a desire to have a sexual encounter with Potiphar's wife, but a higher love from God and for God was able to overpower a lustful desire for Potiphar's wife. In other words, God's love had so filled and satisfied Joseph's heart that he wasn't going to let anything come in between that and somehow hurt that relationship that Joseph had with God. The love that he had for God was going to overpower any of these other loves that might have tried to compete for that in this world. So in other words, Joseph wouldn't sin against God because that would cause grief to God and that would cause grief to the relationship that he had with God as well. This superior love for God overpowered this lower desire perhaps for a sexual encounter. Let's not get it confused here because Joseph would have been tempted by her. There's no question of that. He's a male. No question of that. And it's not as if she didn't have any sort of power of him. Most definitely would have had some sort of alluring power. And if you follow the story through, she didn't just try this once on Joseph. This was day after day after day. She did it in an unrelenting way. But Joseph's walk with God was so tight, so loving, so personal, so powerful, so strong, he understood his creator, he understood who God was, there was no way known that that Joseph was going to allow anything to come and, as it were, disturb that relationship. Not even this particular temptation. You see, God is with us in temptation, just like he's with Joseph. God is with us. Not only is God with us in temptation, God's also with us in difficulty as well. The story follows on. Potiphar's wife is now feeling absolutely rejected and she's bitter as, she's angry as. She's been rejected for her sexual advances towards Joseph. She has one more last try to lure him. It doesn't go well. She now flips. She's angry with him. She cries at the others and said, Joseph tried to rape me. He came in to laugh at me. And she actually took the shirt off his back when she was there, keeps that and says, look, he's left his shirt here. So she sets the whole thing up as a frame and as a false story. She's been rejected. Potiphar gets home and she tells him the same false story. This Hebrew slave, look what you've done. You've brought him into the house and he's just come to make sport of me. Potiphar's angry, commits Joseph to the king's prison. But just a little side note here, as I was thinking about this this week, Potiphar actually could have had Joseph killed on the spot. That's the sort of power he had. Could have easily had him killed on the spot. I just think the reason why he put him to prison, because maybe he just really knew what his wife was like and thought maybe this story is not quite right. Anyway, just a side note there. Joseph now finds himself in prison. An Egyptian prison in 1500 BC is no party house. It's not a holiday home. It's not a place for a long weekend. 
Joseph goes into this prison and again we see that God is with him in this prison. Again, it's this common theme coming up here in chapter 39. Verse 21 says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph's given responsibility again in this prison and again God blesses everything that he does. Everything that he does. And uh, we see there that Joseph uh, has this presence of God with him again. Now, if we just think about where Joseph's been, though, over the last maybe 18 months of his life here, possibly two years, uh, the brothers have left him in a pit two years ago, possibly. Uh, He's been sold into a penthouse, uh, part of his penthouse, but now he's gone back down to a prison. So you can think about this. It's a pit to a penthouse to a prison. I think that would be enough to throw anybody into despair seeing this roller coaster of a life tick by. The pit to the penthouse would seem a decent step up, okay? Well, I'm a prisoner, but gee, I'm in a good spot. But the penthouse back to the prison would just do your head in. You would think, what the heck is going on here? But even in the difficulty of life, where Joseph is possibly confused, God is still with him. He hasn't left him. And God is working his salvation plans through Joseph's life right now in the middle of this prison, in the middle of this difficulty, in the middle of all this confusion, he's trying to think what the heck's going on. God's taking here again the evil actions of Potiphar's wife and, as it were, weaving them into the grand story of rescue and redemption for Joseph and his family eventually, as we see this traced out. God's with him with the difficulty Sustaining him, keeping him. As we think about this today, it's so easy for us to find ourselves somewhat like Joseph. Somewhat like Joseph. Maybe not in prison, but facing similar things he's facing. We all face temptation as Joseph has. We live in a sexually charged world where we are bombarded with imagery that is enticing and alluring all the time. Sexuality is something God has created, and it's good. But we in this world have distorted it and corrupted it. Sex is now used to basically sell everything. An example of this, well, not so much to sell, but an example of this sexualised world that we're in, um, some of you may remember the beach volleyball we had in Shepparton a couple of years back. They had the sandpit set up. Uh, I went to the beach volleyball, took the family there to um, just, hey, see these athletes and do their thing, and... I arrive and the men are dressed there in full shorts and T-shirt and then the women come out and they're in like a partial bikini bottom and sort of a crop top. So I've got these guys dressed in full T-shirt, full shorts, but the women come dressed out with barely anything. And I'm thinking, so these women athletes are sort of sexualised and the men athletes aren't. Just highlights the world we live in. That's meant to attract people to this competition. I thought we'd come in to watch the volleyball, but you want us to come and watch the girls as well without them playing the volleyball. It's just a picture of the world we live in. Uh, look, the volleyball was great. It's, what they can do is amazing, the way they can jump and spike and hit and all those things, but I didn't actually pay money or whatever it was to come and sort of be tempted or you know, see, be sexualised by women athletes. It's the world we live in. You might find it there, you might find it down the street, you might find it anywhere in advertising. Uh, There's temptations at every level. How do we deal with those temptations? 
Will we just somehow escape all this imagery sort of through you know, sheer willpower? I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm just not going to look. I'm just, look, just not going to do anything. Can I just work harder? Well, there'll be an element of that required because beating temptation is hard work, but that's not enough on its own because we will not be able to match that sort of power in ourselves. Sheer willpower will not be enough to overcome these sinful temptations. Here's how Paul saw fighting sin in Ephesians 6. He said this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Well, how do you get strong? And how do you know the strength of his might? Well, I reckon we do what Joseph did. Joseph had a higher and deeper love and devotion for God more than anything else in this world. Joseph had a heart that was, that was entwined with God. But Joseph, and this gave Joseph a, a totally different world view as he looked out upon this world. Joseph had a heart now that saw everything through a gracious and loving God who's given us all things to freely enjoy according to God's ways. That's how Joseph viewed the world. And Joseph wasn't going to live for a moment of sexual enjoyment with Mrs. Potiphar, but instead, instead of that moment of sexual gratification, instead of that, he wanted to honour and remain faithful to an all-satisfying God, living in holiness and experiencing God's blessing through that. The blessing of this glorious relationship that Joseph had with God. That's, that's where Joseph got his strength from to fight in this temptation. God's love infused in his heart. And he did succeed. He overcame that temptation and he experienced God's blessing in his life. And it's no different for us when we face the difficulties of life as well, not only just the temptation, but just the difficult times of life. Again, Joseph trusted in God, even though he was in a prison in a really, really hard and difficult place. Joseph wasn't going to turn his back on God, even though all that challenge was there. Every circumstance around about Joseph would have just said, give up. God's forgotten about you. God's not here, Joseph. Can't you see where you've been? You've been down there, you've gone up there, you've gone back. God's not interested in you, Joseph. Just forget about it. Just move on and leave God behind. Chuck it all in. Yet again, we see Joseph overcome this adversity as well. In the middle of prison, Joseph doesn't give up on God. Even though he doesn't understand all that's happening at this time, that doesn't deter him from staying faithful and true with God. There's no bitterness in this chapter at all from Joseph at this point. He's actually just walking it out, as difficult it is. And yes, again, Joseph experienced God's blessing in hard places. Just the same for us, it's tempting in hard places and difficult times to just throw in the towel. That's it. I can't do this anymore. I can't take it. I'm over this relationship. I can't deal with the grief. I can't deal. I just don't want to do it. And God, actually, I'm over you as well. We can do that at times. That comes through our mind. You see, here's the key to Joseph's success and our success as we think through that. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. 
See, this is what makes Christianity a standalone faith. It stands out from every other cult or religion right across this world. Because the gospel isn't about what we do for God. The gospel is about what God has already done for us. We don't do something to earn something. God does something, then he invites us into it. That's what the gospel's about. The gospel says, God comes to me, God comes to you. He opens up our eyes to his wonder and glory, and then he lives inside of us by his Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel says. And that's exactly what Joseph had. He had this relationship, this personal relationship with God. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph during the temptations of life. God was with Joseph during the hard times of life. And part of this powerful key, I think, for battling any temptation at any hard time that we might have, which is not only sexual, it can be gossiping, it can be lying, it can be bitterness, it can be dishonesty, it can be a whole range of things that we are tempted to get involved in. A powerful key that that Joseph shows us here in this to overcome these temptations is actually to grow our love for God. Now you might think, that sounds a bit strange. How does that really help me? Well, it's a bit like we spoke about before, the power of an expulsive affection. A higher love drives out a lower love or overpowers a lower love. So the higher our love is for God, the more powerful that is to actually compete with these other loves that try and come into our lives and pull us in all different directions. So we grow our love for God. We grow our affections for God. We fill our hearts up with God. We fill our hearts up with God's spirit working through his word and that's growing God in our hearts. And when that love grows in our hearts, we don't want that relationship hurt. So when sin comes to tempt us one way or the other, we don't want our relationship damaged by that. And that gives us the strength and a power to overcome temptation, to see God as our supreme treasure, that we don't want to hurt or grieve. It's a really powerful picture here of God being with us and and I think the most glorious demonstration that is is giving us his son. His son to be with us. Actually, here's a verse out of Isaiah 7 that picks that up. It says this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now you might be sort of thinking, what's that got to do with where we are, Todd? What does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. That son is Jesus Christ who came to be with us. You see, if Joseph was standing here today, he would say, what a gift. What a gift we have in Jesus Christ. If Joseph was standing here today, he would earnestly tell us, take him. Take him. Take him as your Lord and Saviour. It's a gift that we've been given. It's God with us. Joseph would say, receive Christ. Receive all that you'll ever need in this life to overcome any temptation and challenge and be able to flourish in the hard places. Joseph would say, take him. He's God with us. Don't pass him by. Don't let this treasure slip through. Discover Christ and discover life. And discover the strength that you need to overcome in life. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we're able to come and uh, gather around your word. Lord, we thank you again for Genesis 39. We thank you for uh, your work in growing your kingdom, Lord, from Genesis 1 through to Revelation 22. And we see how you use the life of Joseph to grow your kingdom. Father, we see the blessing of you being with Joseph in really challenging situations. Unbelievable sexual temptation, Lord. And you enable Joseph to overcome in that situation by your presence being with him. You allow Joseph then to go into a prison to a very difficult place. And again, Lord, your presence is there with him to help him overcome that. Help us today, Lord. Help us with the challenges we face. We live in a world of sexual temptation. We live in a world where there's difficult places we find ourselves in. Help us again to be refreshed in heart and mind that, Lord, you're with us. You're with us in those times to help overcome that, to help, Lord, come out the other side, matured in our faith, uh, feeling blessed by your presence being with us. So I ask today, Lord, please, grant us that help. Grant us that help, Lord, so that we, through that, through whether it's temptation to sin or in those difficult places, Lord, help us to live in such a way that people would see that Christ is truly living in us and out through us, and he would be glorified through that, Lord, and that we create opportunities for us to tell people about this wonderful Christ. We bless you and we thank you for that today, and we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are going to move to communion. So for those who have um, got those there, if you could hand out, that would be great. Just a reminder again uh, for communion, uh, we are so glad everybody's with us here today. Um, But to let you know that this uh, table of remembrance is for believers only. So if you are a practising believer in Christ and following Jesus, we would invite you to uh, share with this uh, communion with us now uh, and uh, and joining with us. If you're not a believer and you're just watching for the first time, uh, we'd say, look, just to observe, or if you're sitting outside or here, just to observe and uh, see what we do as we remember what this glorious thing, what um, Jesus has done for us as we think about the cross, as we think about his life, death and resurrection. So I want to quickly take us to a passage here, which I didn't give to Kath, so Kath won't have this. Uh, John chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read from verses 1 through 5. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh... And dwell among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, That word there is God. The word was God. The word is God. Uh, And that word that we saw down in verse 14 becomes flesh. Who's John talking about there? John's talking about God being with us in the person of Jesus Christ. He became flesh ultimately to take our place upon that cross. Jesus came to be with us 
so that we could be reunited and reconciled with God so, God then, then, so then God could live eternally within us by his spirit. You see, Jesus came not only to be with us, but he came to die for us. Think about that. Jesus came to die for us. What goes through your mind when I say that? Is it just ho-hum? Jesus came to die for us. It's a staggering statement. God is not only with us, but he dies for us. Can you get any other larger demonstration of God's love? He's with us and he dies for us. These elements we hold are a representation of that. It's a reminder of that. That God's with us and God dies for us. This is the only way to be reconciled back to God through what he has done for us in and through the gospel. The cracker reminds us again of God's, of Jesus' broken body so that our sin could be dealt with so we can now have a clear path to come before God. Let's take this cracker now. Remembering that God is with us but God died for us as well. And again, as we hold the cup, this represents the real blood of Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ, who is with us, but dies for us as well. Die so that we can live again. Let's drink this cup in remembrance of the blood that Jesus spilled for us. Lord, we thank you again that we can come and gather around this um, communion table. We thank you again, Lord, as we just reflect upon the, uh, the truth that the Word became flesh, that the Word is God that, Lord, you are with us and you died for us. And that death enables us now, Lord, to have strength to overcome temptation, has strength to overcome difficult times. So I pray, Lord, let Genesis 39 and this uh, reflection on the cross now work together to uh, quicken us again, a, a larger and larger vision of who Jesus is and to give us that power, Lord, to continue to live for your glory. God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 